0: Today's episode, we begin a brand new book, the second book of the Torah, Exodus. Genesis ended with Joseph and his brothers and their descendants settling in Egypt. And at his death, Joseph confessed his faith that one day God will call out the people of Israel from Egypt and take them to the promised land. Well, the book of Exodus begins some 430 years later, and the Hebrews have grown tremendously since then but the newest pharaoh feels threatened by the growing numbers and enslaves them. Good morning. Today is Tuesday, November 8th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Philbu of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Our program is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit them at lhfmissions.org. And a gentle reminder to those listeners who are in the United States, remember that today is Election Day. If you haven't cast your vote already for your preferred candidate, I encourage you to do so. Exercise your right to vote. God calls us to serve our neighbor, and in our form of government, one way in which we serve others is by voting. Now, back to the matter at hand, Exodus chapter 1. Please join me in welcoming my guest, the Reverend John Lukomsky. He's the co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio on Saturdays at 9. Pastor Lukomsky, good morning. Welcome back to the program.
1: Good, good morning. Good morning, Pastor Boo. Good to talk to you again. By the way, this is the last time that I will be visiting with you in the same state. I, I, we're getting ready. Tomorrow we're going to head back down to the St. Louis area because, uh, uh, you know, Pastor Boo, it's getting cold up here.
0: <laughs> it, it is getting cold. Uh, I was a little worried there for a second. I thought you were going to say it's the last time you're ever going to be visiting with me. And I was <laughs> I was sad in there for a moment. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know where you are Um I'm sorry, I don't know about where you are, but where I am North, at, we Field. just had a. Do you, do you know where Northfield, uh, well, we Minnesota, had a, is? Yes, no. I do. Yeah, and we just had a big rain here, and it's just right on the edge of becoming snow. So I've been looking forward to it, but it's not come just yet.
1: Well, I, I, now, see, I don't know because you're a little bit, you're, you're a little further south than us, aren't are. you? Aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we were I, in the southwest. I, I corner. No, that's the forecast. Snow, snow is coming here uh, over the weekend. Uh, another reason yeah, I, why we're getting out of town. <laughs> <So> I don't know if we can get down that far or not. But
0: uh. Uh, Oh, yeah. I don't even know what the weather is right now, but it's it's chilly and rainy, and it's just, you know, it's Minnesota. It's just what you have to live oh, yeah, with. A-
1: absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you're a brave and, and strong group of people who live up here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they are. I'll say that. Um, so pastor lakomsky <laughs> have you gotten out and cast your vote or can you not you're in a different state than you're i,
1: I to can't be. that's the one frustration yeah because oh. uh, we're, we're not residents of minnesota so i won't get to cast it this this year but two years from now we'll we're normally home by this time but my wife <laughs> i had to put a plug in today's my wife's 70th birthday
0: oh god's so blessings and happy birthday to her that's wonderful <laughs>
1: Yeah, we stayed up north because her kids had a very special birthday party for her uh, Sunday night and everything. Because uh, normally it's already Aww. too cold for me, <laughs> not for her. She, <laughs> she's, she's a Minnesotan by birth and, and a Northerner by birth. So this is all normal for her. But I, I, I grew up in Independence, Missouri, so it's way too cold.
0: <laughs> well, please remind me of your wife's first name.
1: Uh, Lynn, Lynn.
0: Oh, Lynn. All right, so well, happy birthday to Lynn, Then, uh 70 years old. What a what a blessing. Now she's a yep, septuagenarian. Yep. She
1: she is. She is. But we found out uh, she's got to wait 5 more years before she can not take her shoes off at the airport. So Oh, <laughs> she hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> the the
0: perks with uh being a, a mature and seasoned person. You finally get to that, take that, your that's shoes right. off. Or don't have to. That's right. All right, brother. Well, um, today we're starting a brand new book, and I'm happy that you're here to join us in starting it. It's Exodus, right? Exodus really is a, a foundational book for, I believe, uh, understanding all of God's uh, activity and his salvation history and what he's done for us through Christ. Exodus is a book that, um, of course, it just continues, really, the story that was happening in, in Genesis. But it's just so foundational. People really should make sure they're aware of their, of their exodus. What do you think?
1: Well, and, and, and the thing is, is you really need to know Genesis to fully appreciate <laughs> what's going on in Exodus, because Exodus is all about whatever God says, that's what happens. The one thing you'd be absolutely sure about God is he will keep his word. Uh, And so in Genesis, we had two major promises. Number one was that we will be fruitful and multiply. It is a command and it is a promise, all wrapped up into one word of God. And, And that, of course, is the big emphasis here in the first chapter of Exodus, that that promise is being kept. But the other thing is that you alluded to in your introduction, I'm so glad you did that, because underlying all of this was the other promise, is that you're going to be living in the promised land, that this land, even though it's now populated by these powerful and mighty enemies, the Canaanites, it belongs to you. This is going to be yours, and God has promised that. And and that is what's going on in this first chapter, too, because the crazy thing is, is the Israelites have forgotten that promise,
0: <laughs> okay? Yeah, you know, you're uh, absolutely right. They've forgotten that. God's going to have to essentially remind them not only of that or really who even he is and what what his promises are, but it's been hundreds of years. I mean, t- almost twice as old as the United States is have they been here, and they're still considered foreigners, by the Pharaoh, by the Egyptians, they're still considered outsiders, and really, if they're understanding and following God's promises, they are sojourners and foreigners and outsiders there's something better for them, and there's a connection there for us too. you know we've been on this earth for well at least two thousand years since or almost two thousand years since Jesus lived died and rose again, and now We might think we're pretty settled in here on earth, but this is also our temporary home where there's something better waiting for those who have their faith in Christ, too. And,
1: and see, that's what's really neat about this, because if you just read it as history, and it is history, it's absolutely history. Uh, and in fact, all these things we're going to learn about, you can connect up with what we know from the secular histories. But if that's all it is, well, then it's a nice, interesting story about what God did for the Jews years ago. But you're absolutely right. What it is, is it's a picture, it's a model of what God is doing for us right now, and perhaps also offering an explanation why sometimes in our life right now, it seems like we are are slaves and we have struggles and we have trials and it may be the source of these things are precisely the same reason why the israelites are going through all these struggles and trials too so you're right it is actually a beautiful picture what you said at the beginning hit it right on the head uh, uh of pastor boo this is a beautiful picture of how god is saving us uh yeah
0: well, you know what? I want to read just uh, the first seven verses, and these are the verses that just con- just have the names of the of the house of Israel, the sons of Israel. But uh, let's and, let's and, read that. And, and, Go ahead.
1: Well, and before you do that, I just want to make one more preliminary comment. Please, we're going to do something different. We're going to hear how the Jews understand Exodus chapter one. I, I have two really really nice Jewish. Rabbinical commentaries that I hardly ever get to use because we don't usually talk about the Torah that much (laughs) in our church. Yeah, you know Exodus,
0: for instance, is so long. um, You know, I'm teaching it in Sunday morning, and I'm I'm starting to have a few people. I'm starting to shed people. You know, now that I'm in (laughs) chapter 33, and people are starting to, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. I actually spoke with my elders group last night, and I think there's a couple reasons. One is because we, uh, it is long, so that's one. Two, because it feels like it's just these stories about oh. things that happen in history, and they don't apply to us. And then, and also, I think people have this overestimation if they grew up in Sunday school at all that they know these stories, they know them, they've heard of them. But yeah, you know, your second grade understanding of Exodus and Genesis and the Torah wow. might be just accept it. Might be a little insufficient, right? Let's dig into it now. Um, Looking back, uh, uh, guided by our faith. So I'm just going to read these first seven verses. This just gets this introduction out of the way. This will be from the ESV. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, and Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and they multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now it doesn't sound like there's anything particularly controversial about this verse. You know, people look at it and they go, okay, makes sense. But uh, there are some things that are controversial, right? I mean, the 70 persons, sometimes people get hung up on because um, we have Stephen in the New Testament, and he actually mentions 75, and then we try to say, well, exactly who are the 70 people and where, where do we find all of their names and make the authoritative list? The Septuagint actually says 75, uh, but I think that misses the point, right? There's something greater that we're being told than just you know here's a, a list of people.
1: Right, right. And, and so if you come to the, the rabbis and ask them about this, and, and they'll point out right away, because they understand this, that generally numbers in, in the Bible are, are uh, well, we, we had this earlier. We, we talked a few weeks ago about typology, and that's kind mm-hmm. of the thing. The numbers here are typological. And so uh, 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 probably 70, 75 has to do something with a manuscript here, or somebody probably didn't just copy it exactly correctly. Uh, 70 certainly fits really well. Because that is the number of completion, right? You've got the the number of Earth and Heaven, four and three. God's a Trinity. Earth has four corners, and then you multiply it times ten, which is always kind of the Hebrew number for you've got a fullness, right? How many commandments do you have? Well, you got ten. Actually, you've got hundreds of them if you if you read through the book. But but, but ten is I mean you got all you need, and and so here you got seventy. So everything we need in terms of persons amongst the Jews, we we have them. But you're right. I don't think any commentary thinks that we're actually literally talking about numbering 70, but the idea that in the numbers that we've been given, that is sufficient. That's it. The same thing you get in Revelation, isn't it? Because they do the numbering thing with the Jews, too. We just had that in the epistle lesson. Uh, or was it the first lesson? I don't know. One of the lessons from Sunday, you know, we have 12,000 of this tribe and 12,000 of that tribe. Uh, and the point is that they're just exactly 12,000, 144,000. But again, it's it's a number of completion, right? Twelve tribes. 12 apostles, you put them all together, you've got the whole ball of wax. Um, what, what is striking, though, about, about the names here, let, let me share with you a quote from the, one of the rabbis, which I thought was cool. Uh, he said, as every successful politician knows, addressing someone by name evokes feelings of warmth and closeness. And, and, and that's the point of beginning with these names, uh, a reminder that, that when you name something, it's important to you. It belongs to you, right? Uh, how many kids do you have? I, I don't know if I've asked you this before. Oh, I have, have two
0: kids, two kids.
1: Okay. And, and their names are?
0: So I have Alex, who's uh, getting ready to be 15, is currently grounded, and then I have my daughter, <laughs> Katie, who is 11 and probably should be grounded, but usually doesn't get
1: it. <laughs> but she, so far, she's escaped that wrath. Uh, we have a Katie, too. We have a, we have a Katie, too. So. Uh, but, but see, they're important to you. That's that's why we we get to name them. Adam named the animals because they, right. they were his animals. People even fall in love with their cars, and they give their cars names. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's the point. These are God's people. These are the people that he has named. They belong to him. Um, And of course, what's really exciting about this, I love that phrase, they died. They all died. And yet we still name them because they're still God's people. You, You know, like Jesus said, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Um, and and Isaiah, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power. Not one is missing. And then, of course, you got Jesus saying the same thing to us in John 10. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, See, when you hear that, you need to put your name in there. John is in there. Phil is in there. Lynn is in there. Uh, that that's the point. We we are the right. people, and and we lost Jerry, Jerry uh, Raymond, my my father-in-law. Right. But but his name is still in there, and he's still alive. That that's the really cool thing in these opening verses, that God is not a God of the dead; He's a God of the living. And even though they've been dead for what you said almost four hundred years, no, they're still alive as far as God is concerned um so yeah and see again that's coming from the rabbis and, sure. and we would say but and it's fulfilled now in jesus christ who as we said calls us by name you know but well they're, they're rabbis they yeah they, they're, not gonna, the they're not gonna i not gonna
0: take that step at least unless the holy spirit no. leads them to yeah,
1: uh, Because you know, the veil, what, the veil is over their eyes uh, that's what, what paul says yeah go ahead exactly. well
0: i was just gonna say an interesting feature of this first uh very first verse really is that it doesn't show up in the English, but in the Hebrew it begins with the Hebrew conjunction and. So who starts who starts a book with the word and? So <laughs> so Moses begins, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. So clearly there's a connection to what's going on at the end of Genesis, right? So Genesis ends with Joseph, which I think is this, this beautiful testimony of Joseph. And we we obviously will see it again once I think it's chapter Nineteen, I want to say, when when um the or no no it'd be thirteen, but when they are finally freed from slavery, you know they take up Joseph's bones. But when you go back to Genesis chapter fifty, uh, verse twenty four, he says to his brothers, "I'm about to die, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land that He swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob." And then He made them swear, um, that they'll carry His bones out. And the last sentence is, they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And then Exodus goes, and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt. So this really is a continuation, as you said earlier, of Genesis. And we have these names because, well, these are the, uh, the patriarchs of the tribes of Israel. But more than that, as you pointed out, these are God's people, people living and people today that that are also promised a promised land. Yeah, I I love it. I love it.
1: And and, and so to so the rabbis, and, and so yeah, you're right. See that and which unfortunately the English leaves out. And I don't know why they left it out because it's it's a direct connection. That these are not two separate books. But they are one united book all about the fact that God's going to bring his people back to the promised land. That was always the promise. And even though we've gone 400 years, that that promise will still be held true. And and the rabbis point out, and I thought this was cool too, that the, 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 the order of the names here is not the same as it was at the end of the book which is what you'd think it would be, right? Well, we've just finished this, so we have the and. So now we'll just list these names again and draw the connection. But actually, the order is found from the earlier part of Genesis, from Genesis 35. And, and the rabbis point out their, their feeling is the reason it directs us back to that earlier list, is because it's in that chapter where God said, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So he's intentionally giving us a different order than what we heard at the end of Genesis to remind us that Genesis begins with the promise that they will be fruitful and multiply, which, of course, is what verse 7 says. That exactly happened. They were fruitful and they increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. So so you you see, you're right. He begins with saying, look, here's the first thing you need to know, because we're going to have a terrible story about all horrible things that are happening to the Israelites. But you need to know from the get-go that this is exactly what God said is going to happen. Uh, Well, and I'm jumping the gun here because He's also going to say that this slavery was going to happen. That was all part of the word of God in Genesis too.
0: Yeah, and I'd like to talk about that in a moment after we get some of these other verses in because uh, the question that you know I think people ask is if God is leading them into Egypt, and we know he does, and we know that there are some, some good things about it too. It saves them from a famine and other things, but God, being all-knowing, also knows and told them that they will be enslaved essentially. And so God is leading his own people into slavery, and that causes people to step sand up and go, wait a minute, that that doesn't sound right. Let me get some more verses. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 14, and this introduces the new Pharaoh and his opinions. Here we go. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies, and fight against us, and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, in the English, it sounds like uh, Moses is repeating himself, and that's because he is repeating himself. Hebrew repeats things for emphasis. It probably sounds a little more poetic in the Hebrew instead of just redundant in the English. But when we see those repetitions, right, this is this is really important. So God has led them there, but not under false pretences. It's not as though it's like, here, come escape this famine. Oh, by the way, in 400 years you'll be slaves. God knows what's going to happen. But there are probably some good reasons why they're better off in Egypt than they would have been if they would went straight to the promised land. The promised land, which at this time is filled with warring factions and, and all sorts of uh, things that would have prevented them growing instead it says here brother that the, that the more they were enslaved the more god blessed them
1: and of course that that that's the key thing because god made this promise right that you'll be fruitful and multiply that he makes it over and over again and so now we're actually going to have a situation where the very forces of the world are going to try to undo that. And, and that's the point that uh, Moses is making. I, I don't care. You can be, you can bring the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh at this time, and where they were living. There's no one greater than him. And he has access to all kinds of armies. We're going to see him make edicts here that are just horrible, terrible things. It isn't going to make any difference. <laughs> okay. I let the world rage as it wants. It's not going to change what God said. In fact, they become stronger. They become There becomes more of them, even though... Uh, the world and the enemies are fighting against him, which, of course, is the great promise to us, because God has made promises to us about our sins being forgiven, about eternal life. And man, our flesh and the world and the devil argues against all of those things. Say, oh, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell. Why would God love you? But but you got to just remember, hey, this is what the Lord said to us in Jesus Christ. So no matter what uh, the uh, foes oppose us, no, no, God's word will will remain true. Um, and, and, and the thing is, let me read you the verse. Cause I think this is so, so interesting already in Genesis 15, the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And, and thank you for pointing that out. Uh, Pastor Boobie. that's the, that's what they're forgetting that they were supposed to be sojourners. <laughs> okay. That's what they're forgetting. And they will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but it will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So that's Genesis 15, uh, of Pastor Boo. So you're right, from the get-go, he said, this is what's going to happen to you. Uh, you're you're going to be fruitful and multiply. That's what I said. Nothing's going to stop that. And yet there's going to be struggle. There's going to be trials. Uh, for 400 years, <laughs> you're, you're going to be afflicted. Uh, but But for me, I'm thinking, yeah, that's what he said to us, hasn't he? He said yeah. to us that we're going to have our crosses, but at the same time, he also said, we're going to have our blessings. And he also said we would be delivered. So all of those things are going to be true. Uh, and, and that's what we see here. What, whatever God says, that's what's true. And so it's true for them, and it's true for us.
0: You know, we can always look back in history and say, well, here they are. They um, forgot the promise, but they were told they are in Egypt. They're enslaved. It's not a good situation. No one's saying that, oh, that's great for them. But also we can look back from our perspective and say, well, you know, at that time in the promised land, you know, you have the Hurrians and the Hittites are surging south and invaders are going north. And, you know, Egypt has armies all over north, and then there's a a bridge that is a continual march between uh, foreign armies, and there's devastation from war, and if they would have gone straight there… They could have been separated or destroyed, but God knows what was best for them. In fact, you know, and again, we're just guessing, but still looking back, we can say, look what God did. He put them in a place where it was conducive for them to grow and to and to multiply as opposed to a place where they could have been potentially destroyed. And now we know why God allowed them to suffer in Exodus two, verse twenty three. You know, it suggests kind of another reason. In 23, it says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And then here's the big point, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. So, you know, as you alluded to, there's this this other context of by forgiving God, it was only through this suffering that they had to endure that brought them to the realization that, wow, we need a savior. And that's how God often will work in our lives, too. You know, I don't want people to have to experience that. I don't want to experience that. You know, I've talked to people and said, listen, don't, don't let God, uh, you know, make you pay attention, right? Pay attention in advance of him having to discipline you. But we see that part of it, too. And so if we, no matter what we're going through, could fast forward 20 years and look back, oftentimes we'll say, wow, God actually knew What was best for me? But when we're in the moment of it, it's so difficult for us to understand that, you know, God is still for us even when things don't feel like we would want them to be.
1: Yeah yeah and I can second that. <laughs> when we're in the midst of the the uh, discipline it's not pleasant. That's what Paul says. No one no one likes that. But you're right when you look back you say, "Oh, okay. I can see now. I can see there was a reason. There was a purpose for that." And and as a, a guy who's not quite 70 but getting there in a few months uh, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Cause I'm not, I don't want to go to the promised land. <laughs> not now. <laughs> Pastor Boo, I'm happy here. As soon as I get out of the cold of Minnesota, I'll be all right. <laughs> uh, but but see that's I, I begin to think that's why as we get older we get weaker you know I, I I my my shoulders are both shot and I've had a heart attack and and I can see you know it's just not it's not as good as it used to be twenty years ago I was a young guy and I could do all kinds of things play tennis and what have you and I can't do that it's getting harder and but but I'm yeah I, I God I I understand you you're just trying to help me remember I. I, I don't belong here. I'm a sojourner. This isn't where I'm supposed to stay. I, I should be ready to go home and be with you. And and, and uh, Pastor Busi, that's that's what I, I didn't really comprehend until we did this study. Thank you for choosing Exodus one because we <laughs> wondered, well, why did the children have to suffer in 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 uh, slavery? And it's so graphically described here, repetitively, as you said here, with uh, you're in, you're enslaved, you're enslaved. He says it over and over again. But that's because they don't want to leave Egypt. They like Egypt. It's a great place. We don't know what's out in the promised land. And and we have to excuse them because they haven't known the promised land. They didn't know it like like their, their forefathers knew it. They didn't live there. Uh, they've got used to the leeks and the onions and the melons there and, and isn't it something because you're going to see this as you walk through this book over and over again they want to go back to egypt
0: <laughs> okay right they remember <laughs> the they remember the flesh pots of egypt the meat pots they want to go back you're right it's the evil they know is better than the unknown
1: so so the thing is god isn't being mean here god, god would prefer not to make them go through 400 years of slavery but they as you said they, they still think they've got everything in control. They still think they're doing what needs to be done. And, and this is the only way they're going to realize, no, 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 this isn't where you belong. And, and you're not going to be able to get where you need to go without the Lord. So we need to cry out. We need to cry out, Lord, help us. Uh, and, and it's not that God is being mean. In fact, really, if you think about it, the Lord isn't doing anything. He's just letting reality be reality. He's just letting us be our sinful selves and letting the world be what it is, which is a horrible place to be. Not a bad place to spend some time as a sojourner. A good place um, to
0: vacation, but we wouldn't want to live here. (laughs) I'll tell you what, it's on that thought that I think we should take a moment and we will take our break. It's already upon us. But when we come back, Pastor Lukomsky and I will continue our discussion of the very first book of Exodus. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend John Lukomsky, co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO Radio. Folks, before we continue, I want to say that I love hearing from you, and I answer every email I receive. So send me your questions or comments to Boo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Well, uh, Pastor, before the break, we were talking about the enslavement of the Hebrews and how it's certainly not what God wants for them, but God sometimes allows the bad in this world to happen so that it reminds us that not only is he in control, but that we are not and that we need to look to him for our salvation. And he promised them that he would save them, Uh, but it's going to take at least half of of Exodus before we get to see (laughs) any of that.
1: And, you know, as we took the break, uh, Pastor just, man, the the comfort to me uh, came into my mind because, you know, this is not the kind of uh, story that you'd find for uh, Star Wars. Are, are the modern movies where you have the heroic people who rise up against their oppressors and and go with full strength and and achieve their freedom? You know that's kind of the picture that we have. Now this is a bunch of people that don't necessarily want to be freed. <laughs> We're kind of liking it here, uh, and almost have to be pushed and prodded to to do and and take what what God offers and what God promises them. But what I found the comfort there is because that, that that's me you know I, I, like i said i'm getting older and and man i had one brush with death and and uh, my cardiologist who i'm going to see this thursday has already told me well you know uh, those bypasses they last for about 5 years and then we're going to have to monitor you and everything uh and and see i don't i don't want to die I, I i no but but See, that's okay. That's all right. I I can have that feeling in my flesh. I can have that reluctance. You know, that's part of being a sinner, and that's what I am. And and yet to know, as we're going to see here, God is always faithful. God will get done what he needs to get done, because it's not going to be dependent upon me or how strong and brave I am. But it will depend upon God, who is just such a God of love and mercy. Who even even as he disciplines, he does so because he's a a God of love, you know. So anyway, I just was reflecting on the break, and I thought, like, yeah, yeah, this is my story, and and thank God that the Lord doesn't say, well, the heck with you, <laughs> if you don't want right. your freedom, if you don't want the promise, well, forget it. <laughs> no, that's not the kind of God He is. So
0: I, uh, w- w- you know, death of of course we should acknowledge is a is a negative thing. It's never good. It's the consequences of sin. So anyone who really says, well, I'm not afraid of death, uh, you know, maybe you should evaluate that because it's supposed <laughs> to be a punishment. It's supposed to be bad. Um, the, the You're response, not paying
1: attention, are you?
0: <laughs> right. The response yeah. to death, of course, is Jesus Christ. And so I've never faulted anybody for saying, you know, I'm I'm afraid of the unknown. Right? We know that we'll be with Christ, but let's be honest, we don't know what that's like. And even if we know that it's wonderful, it's um it's extremely disconcerting to our old Adams who say, well we want to be in control and we want to know uh, how the how the next chapter is going to play out but you talked about you know not wanting the reward i remember when i was a vicar at uh, in st john's lutheran church in east moline illinois under the reverend kent Umbarker. i was uh, put in charge of teaching uh, the fifth grade confirmation confirmation began <laughs> in fifth grade and there was this uh, woman who had been away from the church for quite a while. And so her fifth grade son, at no point in his life had they ever been churchgoers or really been involved with the faith. Well, she, through the Lord's grace and mercy, had been brought back to the church. But suddenly what's really important to her, her son had never experienced. And so she's wanting to bring him to confirmation. And, you know, she's full in, you know, 100 percent, you know, the pedals all the way down. And so she brings him the first day of confirmation, and I'll never forget it. He is literally clawing at the door as she holds him, trying to drag him into the confirmation room. (laughs) And he's like scratching and clawing. It was like a cartoon. He just did not want to go. (laughs) Now, by the end, he was very comfortable. He was around friends, and, and hopefully he learned some stuff too. But my point is she did know what was good for him, and she wanted what was best for him but because he you know didn't have that remembrance of what it what all that meant it was new to him and he was scared and so here are some hebrews who certainly had been raised up in the faith in terms of their heritage but 400 and some years is a long time and i don't know what the rabbis might say or any others might say historians about you know worship or the way that they passed down the faith but you have to you probably have to acknowledge that in the context of the Egyptians, they're probably pretty worldly. You know, they're, they're a lot more concerned about, about getting by than they are about making sure that, uh, th- th- that they're passing down the faith. And this is also a struggle that our people today have. I don't know how many parents... I've sympathetically listened to them say, it's not that I don't want my kids to know everything that they need to know in confirmation. It's not that I don't want my kids to know Jesus and pray. It's that I I just, I don't know how to teach them or I don't, I don't know what to say or I'm just too busy, you know, uh, trying to make a living to make that a priority. And it's easy for us as pastors to say, well, it's the most important thing ever. You just need to do it. But that's a, that's a serious, that's a serious issue for them. And so that's how I kind of see these folks. You know, they've kind of become part of the culture. And, um, you know, God has now said, I'm going to I'm the time has arrived. I'm going to bring you out of this.
1: And and so I'm thinking of your situation, and you're right. See that this is also real because this is what what the church is going through right now. We we no longer have that that long heritage of where Christianity is at the chief and foremost of what's going on in our nation. Now we're kind of becoming more and more secondary, and it's going to become more and more like this, not not less. But but I'm thinking of that that little boy there who is just literally you know holding on. Don't don't make me go here. Who knows what this rookie wannabe pastor will be like but but like you said then then he got more comfortable because he realized well yeah this this pastor boo he's our vicar boo he's not that bad a guy and hey this is some pretty good things this this god of love that i hadn't known about before um and and it it see all of that conversation pricked my memory that that this is why the bible doesn't give us a, a very specific detail about what heaven is like because we we don't want to go to heaven because it's such a great place to be, although it is, I'm not denying that, because uh, that's the one thing the Bible is very. But we want to go to heaven because that that's where our people are, that's where our Savior is, that's where my God is, and and uh, I know this much for sure that he 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 loves me and he's a good God, and I I cannot do any better than being with him. Uh, it's like I was saying to my wife Lynn as we were discussing this chapter. I just want to be wherever she is. I don't want to go down to St. Louis and leave her up here in Minnesota. Uh, I'm not a big fan of being in the cold, but but if this is where she needed to stay, I would stay up here with, with her. And, of course, she's going to go with me to St. Louis because she'd much rather be here with her kids. But she's going to go with me, make the trip because she wants to be with me, and and that's what we need to understand. This is what faith is about: coming to understand that you have this wonderful beloved God. Uh, we we know him by name by Jesus, and 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 if if Jesus is going to be in heaven, well, man, that's where I want to be. And like you said, that's what this young man. It was good to be with my friends. It was good to be with with uh, Vicker Boo. Uh, uh, and, and that's what the people of Israel are going to learn here. But that's a hard lesson for us to learn. Sometimes that it's not about where we're at; it's about who we're with. That that's the key thing, uh, and that's the key blessing of the scripture. We know we don't know the details about what heaven's going to be like. Uh, I, you and I have discussed this before. I, th- I think it'll be. For my own opinion I think it won't be much different than what we're here except all the bad things the tears and the death will all be gone. But well, anyway I'm I'm rambling again but just well no so I don't I that. don't think
0: you're rambling because I think this okay. I think this is this connects because we don't know what heaven's going to be like which is the ultimate promised land. The Israelites don't know what the promised land is going to be like. I mean many of them may have even forgotten the promise but even when they know the promise and we we we're looking forward to them grumbling in the desert they still don't know and even if they're told it's great, you know, we're stubborn people. And so yeah. absolutely. And and I like that. It's about who you're with and uh and being with God is a paramount. And so yeah, God isn't gonna tell us, well, you know, you're gonna be able to eat all the ice cream you want and never get sick. <laughs> it's like that's such a that's such a human way of thinking. Um now I, no, I wanna read no Pastor, no, but
1: we're not gonna be able to eat all the ice cream you want. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I I, I I want to read the rest of the uh, chapter because uh, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, uh, he has some plans for for for, plan, you know, a was to make these guys slaves. The implication is that they had already been supporting the economy of the Egyptians for a while, probably as just lower class workers. Now he's going to work them really hard. Then he's going to work them extra hard to where they're essentially slaves. And now, which this next section, he's going to bring out plan B or C, however you're counting it, and he's going to try to reduce their numbers. Which, well, let's just read it. So 15 through 22. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Ashifra, and the other Pua, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, You shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now, just from a completely practical point of view here, Pastor, uh, he's reducing the population of his of slaves <laughs> so and, and of the the working the working men that will come and benefit him so i think this shows behind behind his uh, his evil reaction um just how irrational he's being he is so afraid so it's like we're going to make them slaves and when that really kind of doesn't work and they keep growing then we're just going to I'm going to have the midwives kill them, and when that doesn't work, he says, "Okay, I'm going to have anybody who wants to just throw the the sons into the Nile, even after they're born." Um, it's it's awful, but it also doesn't make sense, even from his point of view. And I think we have here, I, I would say, history's first recorded, you know, program to wipe out the Jewish race, and it's um, it's awful. It's awful.
1: And so, so the Bible says the atheist is a fool, uh, and, and that's the right. irony. Uh, when when the world does what the world wants to do, uh, you know, anybody you, you don't have to be a Christian. You can look back and say, well, that that seems like that was incredibly foolish. So, so why would you want to invade the Ukraine? What possibly gain right. are you going to get from that? Well, now you're not gaining anything. You've caused world turmoil. You're you're killing your own people, and, and what have you got? So you can say you have a little more territory. Uh, uh so absolutely uh, that's a, that with the world, it, that's right it it's not logical it's not rational uh, but that's that's what evil is like uh, um, it, it, it what, what uh, the one comment i did want to make earlier is that we were talking about the fact that this is all historical everything we know here fits what we understand about the history of egypt that uh, they actually we think of them as being this great mighty power, but they had these other groups around them that were threatening them, and so to have a a group within your country that would be perhaps rebellious, well, that's a scary thing because they might, they probably will become allies with these other people that are invading. Uh, we we know that there was tremendous slave labor labor needed to build the great pyramids and all those other great structures there, so very historical. And, and you're right, uh, the the uh, pharaoh was acting. Illogically, but but it's that's what happens when we're frightened. We just do things that are incredibly stupid, which is why God says fear not.
0: (laughs) Okay. And as you point out, there's some logic there too, with the threat of them joining in their enemies, which is explicit in the scripture. For those who might be interested, while we don't know exactly how many numerous is, uh, we do see like in Numbers uh, chapter one, verse forty six. There's a census of military-age men, and that comes out to be about six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty. And so, if you have the figurative seventy that have come in in the four hundred and thirty years, estimates are about two to three million people. So it's not like this is a little uh, commune of you know a hundred people or even ten thousand people that they're worried about. This is an incredibly large. Uh, population of people that pharaoh's having to deal with so i suppose even from his sinful point of view he could use to lose a few but it's um it's just so awful though because of the irrationality of it all and there is really besides his own fear no indication in the text that the hebrews were ready to rise up against him he's, he's just it's like herod all over again he's just worried on his own
1: and, and and thank you for making that point, too, because, yeah, that's kind of the point we'll see. They're even in their house of slavery, which is a term you're going to hear repeated over and over again, uh, which is, again, God's saying to them, you don't want to go back there. Don't you remember what that was like? That was the house of slavery. Uh, but, but yeah, there's no indication that they are ready to rise up in arms. They're, they're willing to just put up with it. Um, the thing, though, now going back to the name thing. so So we're talking about this pharaoh. And and I know there's a lot of speculation about which pharaoh it might be. But the fact is, the Bible doesn't care. <laughs> we don't get the name of the pharaoh. But we do get the name of the two uh, Hebrew midwives, uh, Sipra and Puah. And, and it brings us back to our first point, too. See, that's the, the people that belong to God. They have the names because they're important. And God doesn't forget their names. And I'm thinking, of course, of the story Jesus tells about Lazarus and, and and the rich man. Again, the rich man goes to hell. We don't know what his name is. Never do find out his name. But the poor man, who you would think was insignificant. In fact, obviously, the rich man thought he was inconsequential. So no, he's the guy that is taken up uh, to dine with Abraham. And we know his name. His name is Lazarus. So I think that's striking here, too. E- even as you've got this evil, wicked that's based on fear. Because, uh, Dr. Boo, that's the best the world can do is do things out of fear. I'm sure that that at the base of, of Putin's decision, there was this fear that I will just be forgotten. And I want to be remembered as one of the great leaders of Russia. Maybe I can even bring back the days of the USSR. Uh, but, yeah.
0: Well, no, that Putin, and that, Putin, what you bring out yeah. is so important because, you know, even with, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin, you think, well, his stated reasons— uh, some of them are like, well, I want to secure uh, Russian defenses and I don't want the encroachment of NATO. And all those things might might sound pretty good or even from his point of view, maybe are pretty good reasons. But ultimately, I agree with you. I think it's about ego. And, and yep. this we have here, the king of Egypt. Again, here's a, a relatively peaceful people who contribute to their society. He doesn't gain anything. He is afraid that they might join in with his enemies, but that's fear. And then on top of it, he wants to be in charge. He wants to be remembered. So I love it where God doesn't even give him the, 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 the sinful desire of his heart. He gets called not even Pharaoh, but just the king of Egypt, the uh-huh. Hebrew word for the guy in charge. See, <laughs> uh, people, people often say, well, this can't be written by Moses because they didn't use the word. They use the word melech for king instead of the word Pharaoh, which is the term he would have used. Listen. He didn't use even the word Pharaoh because that is a title of, of, of kingship and godliness in Egypt. He just ends up being the guy at the top, the guy at the top in Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives. And, and that probably from an eternal point of view is a worse fate in the, in the eyes of this Pharaoh than if he were to be identified. And, yeah, it's fun for us to then to go back in history and try to pin him down. But as you so pointed out, that's not the point.
1: And and see, I'd like that. I love that insight, uh, Dr. Bubat, yeah, the, the king of Egypt. And that's what's fun. Uh, and I do have to give the rabbis credit because they know their Bibles and they know the language. And, and so that's why they're fun to read. You, you always know it's going to be an inadequate interpretation because they don't see the fulfillment. But but see, to see that, and that's right, so that was intentional because no, this, this from the worldly standpoint, that you cannot be more powerful. But in, in comparison to the power of God, he's nothing. He's absolutely nothing. And it's these two humble Hebrew midwives. They're the ones that are really, really significant in the story. Why? Because they did this wonderful moral thing. And see, that's where we would depart from the Hebrews or, or the, the Jewish or the rabbis, because that would be their understanding. See, these, these are worthwhile people because they were so moral and they acted in opposition to the emphaticide of, of of the uh, king of Egypt. But, but we would say, no, because they feared God, which, which means they, they had a faith in God that they, they trusted that they weren't in control. They weren't in power, but, but there was that one, and, and they wanted to do what that one wanted. Uh, and they wanted to do it out of love and out of concern and out of compassion. Um,
0: but I do so, want yeah, to point and, and, out, there does seem yeah. to be, it's minor, but I've heard it uh, both in the text and from people. There seems to be a moral quandary here, a very tiny one, but that is it seems as though God blesses the Hebrew women for you know, bucking the uh, orders of genocide essentially of these, of these people, which is a good thing. But then they're very deceptive and they it seems it seems like they're lying in the process to get it done you know all the Hebrew women are are just they just they give they have babies before we could even get there uh, and, and, I, and I've seen people make a lot of hay over this and I don't think it's worthwhile but does this suggest that in this world where you know before Christ's return morality sometimes just is not black and white It's not as though well the commandments say which they haven't been given yet Thou shalt not lie. (laughs) Uh, While at the same time, thou shalt not kill. Well, what if you have to lie to prevent killing? You know, and, 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 you know, what if the second table is going to, you have to break either the first table or the second table to keep the other table? And because we live in this sinful world, we do find ourselves pitted against those, you know, two. We have to choose the better option of two evils, and clearly they did the right thing. There's absolutely no question about that. At no point should they have said – again, they wouldn't have had the commandments yet, but just for sake of argument. They wouldn't have said, well, I better keep the fourth commandment and obey uh, the pharaoh, and and then by obeying the pharaoh, I'm going to commit the fifth commandment and murder. Or now I'm going to break the eighth commandment and deceive the pharaoh so that I don't have to break the fifth commandment of murder, which also is going to break the fourth commandment. So you can see where I think if you look at these things from a purely legalistic point of view, you have some trouble. But how does that speak to perhaps the way we interact today?
1: Well, so, 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 you know, I've been doing this for 30 years now. And and it's amazing how often that question comes up and how many biblical stories there are where people seem to deceive. uh, But well, is that wrong? Did they sin because they lied? Uh, uh, And and actually, if I remember, I think the commandment is that we should not bear false witness against the neighbor. Uh, And I, I always run with Augustine on this because Augustine wrestled with this. And no, that's okay. You you can tell a half truth if you need to, if that means your neighbor is going to be blessed and cared for, uh, and that he will not be murdered or stolen from or whatever. Uh, that that's that's the issue. What are you going to do for the love of the neighbor? Now, of course, the ditch on the opposite side of that is we love to deceive people because we're trying to be nice to them when in fact. We're just really concerned about ourselves, even as Pharaoh here is only concerned about himself. He's not concerned about anybody else. So you always got to be really careful with that. But uh, yeah, I don't see any problem at all in what they were doing. They were doing what was the loving thing for the neighbor. And obviously, what Pharaoh wanted was the evil and wicked thing. So, yeah, if somebody's going to come and threaten my neighbor, I will lie through my teeth to make sure that he is not. Brought harm upon them, and, and so the same thing, you know, back in in the days of Hitler, again another crazy yeah. guy acting out of fear, and and people lied to him. They had uh, Jewish people hidden away. Well, yeah, that's absolutely what you should do. Uh, right. uh So yeah.
0: Well, you that, heard that's your my folks, take on it here, folks. Not everyone uh, agrees. John Lukomski says that thing. you can lie; it's okay.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Put that down. No, but but you you're, better you're ask absolutely... yourself why you're lying. That's the point. Why <laughs> I are think... you lying? Yeah, yeah, that really
0: is your point and I and I appreciate it because there is this, you know, two ditches that we always have to remember because it's it is so important that when we are interacting with other people in the world, you know, we have to honor God, we honor God by serving our neighbor. And so if Anne Frank is up in the attic deceiving the Nazis to prevent the slaughter of innocent people, you know, <laughs> um th- th- what are you going to do, right? you know yeah. say for ask for forgiveness to for living in a world that's beset by sin and move on sometimes you have to i guess in uh, in Luther's words sin boldly but uh, believe even more boldly
1: Oh, Dr. Uh, Pastor Boo. Oh, Dr. Boo, too. Uh, uh, <laughs> see, you hit it right on the head, isn't it? See, see, it's not about figuring out what's the right and wrong thing to do. Well, of course it is. It's about keeping the word and the commandments of God. But the realization we're sinners. And so even when we've done what we think is the absolutely right thing, we maybe need to say, but, oh, Lord, you know, it may not be. I may have fooled myself here. So please, please let it all be a thing of your grace. And if I have done something wrong, forgive me and somehow undo, undo the evil I've done. See, that's that's what Luther said every day is that you begin with repentance every day, because there's never going to be a day where you're going to start and say, I was really great yesterday. <laughs> no, no, we're all going to start to say, I don't know for sure. I know I'm a sinner. I, I wanted to do. But if I fail to do that, please give me that forgiveness and let me live my life now on that forgiveness uh, I am. Uh,
0: Well, we've come to the end of our uh, time together, which is unfortunate because this is such a good text because it really sets the stage for what happens next. But I'd like to thank you, uh, Pastor Lukomsky, for joining us today. Um, I obviously will talk to you soon, but you'll be in a different state. You'll be back in Missouri.
1: Back in Missouri. And and could I say one real quick thing? This Please. this business, this final thing about killing them, killing them, drowning them, right? Nothing else is working. So just go, anyone who wants to do it, drown a Hebrew. And, and don't you see the poetic justice there? Because that's what's going to turn around. And Pharaoh and all of his armies, they're the ones that are going to be drowned. Don't let the wicked people frighten you. God is going to preserve you and deliver you. That's the promise we have in this text.
0: God is in control. His will will be done. And he'll keep his promises, which is the point of... Well, most of the Torah. So I tell you what, brothers and sisters listening at home, I'm just so grateful that you've joined us today as we begin this new book of Exodus. Tomorrow we'll continue with chapter 2 as God raises up an unlikely hero in Moses. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.